The sense memory conjured by that simple symphonic flourish behind the Walt Disney Studios logo is something that concatenates backward through our memory. To the versions of that logo, the versions of that symphonic splash that we heard growing up, and for me, it takes me back to a particular duration of it in the late 80s when I saw my first movie in the theater theatrically, The Little Mermaid. Whether you're a generation that wore out tapes, played DVDs over and over, or more recently has been firing up Disney movies anywhere, or the video streaming purchase download service of your choice, there is a version of that studio fanfare that means something to you, that is a big deal to you, that triggers a memory in you. The composer, writer, lyricist behind Disney's Moana, which blew the box office wide open this past weekend, Lin-Manuel Miranda, was directly influenced by that very movie that was my first one that I saw in a theater. Not just the first animated movie, not just the first kids movie, the first movie I saw in a dark movie theater. I don't see how a world that makes such wonderful things could be bad. Now, not all Disney feature animation movies hold up the same as others when it comes to standing the test of time and standing up to the expectations and socially accepted norms of one era to the next. And one of the things that I think it's easiest to say about Disney feature animation is that they've continued to try to strive and push forward in terms of what the notion of a Disney princess, what the notion of a Disney heroine means in the modern era that they find themselves in. And here in what I guess we would call the Tangled era, there have been further strides forward than ever before. I'm Moises Shuyan. This is Electric Shadow. On this episode of Electric Shadow, we're going to hear from Malcolm Pierce, the supervising animator behind Moana and various other Disney movies. We'll hear about the things that influenced him as a kid, what it was that made him fall in love with animation. This episode of Electric Shadow is brought to you with limited commercial interruption by the wonderful people at Fracture. If you have been printing your photos in any way other than printing them on glass in a way that's going to last you a lifetime, you're selling yourself short. Go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. Let them know that you heard about them here at Electric Shadow when the survey comes up. Save 10% on your first order, and you'll hear more about them as the show continues. Without further ado, we're going to go straight to an interview that I did with supervising animator Malcolm Pierce right here in Austin, Texas. This is the first of two episodes that we're going to be bringing to you this week, so stay tuned, stay subscribed. Without further ado, here is me chatting with Malcolm Pierce from Disney Feature Animation. So a lot of uh, a lot of kids grow up saying that they love not just animation but Disney movies specifically. Mm-hmm. What were you specifically into as a kid? What what captured your imagination? I liked drawing cars and planes. <laughs> <laughs> then then you're, yeah. you're a natural fit for working for John Lasseter. Yeah. Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah. It was, I mean, I was always drawing. My dad was a gearhead, so he was always working on cars. And so he taught me all about cars. And then that just made its way into anything I was working on. So I was always liking to draw cars. And we'd go to air shows and I'd start drawing planes. And then I'd mix that with animating on post-it tablets, you know. So I always had, you know, planes and cars driving by post-it notes. <laughs> so in terms of, of getting into animation and, uh, and doing that as, uh, as, as a profession, was that something that you found yourself naturally drawn to? Is it something that you found yourself drawn to instead of something else mm-hmm. that, that you thought was going to end up being your path as a creative? Absolutely. I, I felt drawn to it on an early age, and then I sort of went 
away from it a little bit, but not, I think I started learning music and studying music, but I really felt like there was something missing, you know, later on when I was working on music and realized that I needed to kind of recenter myself, I guess. And I started taking art classes again and found that I was right all along. And then I wanted to do a visual arts and that's kind of what led me back into learning animation and getting more interested in the visual arts. You do I have this right that you grew up in Mobile? Yes, uh, Mobile or Spanish Fort? Mobile, I mean, Alabama. I lived in both actually. Both. Mm-hmm. So uh, living there, growing up there, did you feel like you had access to the kinds of creative careers that you wanted to move into eventually, or is that something that became possible later on? Um, I think at the time there wasn't a whole lot of like animation stuff going on, at least in my awareness at the time. I'm not sure. I mean, if you wanted to play football, you were fine. Oh, absolutely. You know, you yeah, yeah. And, and um, University of South Alabama also has a great, you know, um, I feel like they have a great like, nursing program and stuff like that, but uh, in the medical field. But yeah, for art school, I really, you know, and at the time, I really wanted a place that was different. Like I, we went and visited Fort Lauderdale and I was like, thought that was just the most beautiful city. So the imagining going to school there made it even more enticing. <laughs> so that's how I found uh, the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale, and that's why I started going there. Um, but, yeah, I feel like you really had to kind of branch out in order to get, you know, to kind of seek it out a little more. Can you point back to a specific formative uh, experience with animation that's what got you drawing on those post-its? Was it seeing a particular movie, a cartoon on TV? Oh, yeah, I think just... I remember seeing Aladdin in the theater and just the genie and how amazing these characters were. And it seemed like that movie was just a tour de force for animation. And I feel like that's kind of what really started to get my wheels turning, you know? And I think there are a lot of animators at the studio that that feel the same way. Like Aladdin was kind of one of their favorite films. And I think it was like a film for animation, absolutely. And I think that was when I started to really do more and more animation drawing and that's when I started saying yeah I want to be a Disney animator I want to be a Disney animator um, of course you know Saturday morning cartoons of course but as far as theatrical stuff I think that was the first of many films that really got me into it did you find yourself actively meeting people that were directly involved in movies like Aladdin things like that that were that were formative experiences to you once you once you got in I mean you worked uh, you worked on Open Season 2, you worked mm-hmm. for uh, the people at Blue Sky and Ice Age 3, mm-hmm. and then you know eventually you found yourself t- t- at Disney Feature Animation. Yeah, well, my first day at Disney Animation, um, me and a good friend of mine, Henry Sanchez, we were working at Blue Sky and both ended up working on uh, Tangled together. And we went through orientation in the, across the street, because the Disney building is on, across the street from the main building. And I remember me and him were like, okay, well, orientation's over. Let's go and check out the animation building. So we walk through, and we go up to the second floor and make our way to the animation department, and we come around the corner, and there's um, Glenn Keane, Patrick Osborne, and John Carr just standing around talking, and we were like, hi, we're we're just starting. We're going to be joining your guys' team. And Glenn was like, hi, I'm Glenn Keane. And we're like, yes, thank you. Yeah, I know who you are. Thank you. And John Carr has introduced himself and Patrick Osborne. And... um, just how humble everybody was and how you could sense the, the I don't know, it was like a family in that building. 
And I think that was a point where I was like incredibly just blown away at the how awesome this place is, um, just based on that experience alone. And that I, I will always remember that moment. <laughs> a lot of people will say that there isn't. Uh, I I don't want to say that it's strictly like a house style that mm-hmm. Disney has, but there are trademarks, there are themes, oh, yeah. there are common threads, uh, there are things that you see throughout all of the feature masterpieces, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, did you find that there was an adaptation process going from the style of animation that you were doing at other companies when you did find yourself in the mouse house, as it were? Absolutely. I remember, um, I feel like the Disney animation is stripped down to the essence of what the shot needs to be. And that's something that, especially on Tangled, Glenn would always talk about. And like, what is, he would always talk about how it takes so long to get a pose on these characters just because of the, the way the workflow is that um, it's a shame to move past the pose. So he would always talk about the golden pose and really hanging on to the pose as long as you could before moving into the next thing. And then if, if you felt like you couldn't stay on that pose, the pose probably wasn't getting you what you needed. Um, and I remember coming in and I was really trying to, you know, you try to really prove yourself when you first start anywhere just to, you know, validate you being there, and I was really just cranking up everything. I was giving it all I had, but in the wrong way. So I was working on this pretty small shot. It was a shot of Flynn, where Rapunzel has Flynn tied up in the chair, and all he has to do in the shot is raise one eyebrow. And I was animating everything, like his shoulders tensing up and his neck kind of coming forward and like little nuances that I thought were, were making the shot more realistic. Um, and I kept showing it in the directors Byron Howard and um <clears throat> excuse me Nathan Grinnell were saying yeah this this looks good but I think you can just tone it down and just pull it back it just needs to be this these two beat changes and so I do another pass and show it and they're like yeah this is better but I think you can still pull it back and I was like okay so I went and pulled it back some more and then I showed it again and they were like still could pull it back you know so I'm like uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> so I'm starting to get in panic mode here. I'm like, I swear there's nothing left in this shot for me to pull back. And then I remember coming in um, the next day, and I had two storyboard panels on my desk that Nathan Greno had drawn. And one was a drawing of Flynn with this eyebrow down, and then the next drawing was the same drawing, with, but the eyebrow had been whited out and drawn higher. <laughs> and I remember just being like, this is, you know, this is what it is. It's not about all these little extra nuancey movements that, you know, you need in the shot to make it read but it's the the essence of the shot or what does the scene need to make the story work or the character moment work and i remember i pulled all of that out and it's the shot is so simple and it's just the brows down and one brow raises up and it totally gets the point of the cross or gets the point of the shot across without you know getting hung up on the movement of the shot and i think that's something that at disney we spend a lot of time trying to perfect is trying to animate the essence of the shot and I think uh, Mark Hinn said this in an animation uh, lecture that he did during Moana but he talked about how at Disney we're not trying to create realistic characters but we're trying to create believable ones and I think that's a really nice way to phrase just the style of animation at Disney. Now there there are huge teams of animators that work on these things in the old days in the days of the nine old Mm -hmm. men you would have an individual animator that was really just the one person handling a bunch of major characters and that sort of thing Um, even with so much larger teams that you're working with now 
you in particular uh, not only worked on one of the most famous recent uh, Disney characters introduced, but one of the most famous sequences in the movie Frozen. Uh, there's there's a little musical number where suddenly mm-hmm. somebody with ice powers can turn I remember turn that. ice into clothes uh, and, that's uh, right. and all kinds of things yeah. that aren't necessarily realistic, but Absolutely. they're believable. I mean, that's right. that's why these kids have sung it into their parents' heads over right. and over and over and over again. Um, what was the, the production on Frozen like? Was it, it something that... Uh, there was an anticipation of there being... Uh, there's always something special with all these movies. Right. But something particularly interesting and new and iconic in the way that this thing was coming together. I mean, you were you were on this character that is now, you know, if, if there's a piece of Elsa merchandise, it's going to outsell other character merchandise, <laughs> I don't know, 20 to 1. Okay. Um, yeah. Was that sort of expectation and responsibility put on your shoulders, or was it pretty much another day at the office? You know... The success of Frozen was amazing, and I remember it was totally something that we were not expecting at all. It was like, how did this happen? I think it was just people wanted that from Disney, and that was just in that just good timing, I think. And from our perspective during production, it was really just sort of, I feel like how we approach all of our films, we're just trying to really make this as good as we can, and we're all sort of holding hands and making these decisions, hoping that it's they're the right decisions to be made. And, um, yeah, the let it go sequence, that was something that in every screening we knew was like, man, this is going to be really cool. And I think, you know, as we were making that sequence in particular, we would finish the animation and and just watch it and be like, this animation is so much fun. And the next thing that would come after us would be the effects. And we started seeing, you know, rough passes of the ice castle built being built. And we were like, holy crap, like this, this is awesome. Like, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. And, and um, I think the that just rung true whenever the audience saw it and really just made it their own. And one of my favorite, one of my favorite memories ever on the, you know, since being an animator was um, after Frozen, we went and we saw this show called World of Color, and it's a show they built at um, Disneyland where they project uh, the film film clips to music on water, and it's amazing. And they had a they worked Let It Go into the world of color, and we were watching Let It Go, and it started up, and there was a little girl on a on her sh- her father's shoulders, uh, maybe maybe twenty feet in front of us, and Let It Go started, and the little girl is just acting out all of the shots of animation, and she's singing along, and then um, she, when. Elsa walks out onto the balcony. The little girl throws her arms out, and it's like <laughs> she is Elsa in that in that moment. And I just remember being like, "Man, this is what it's about." You know, we make we're not making these movies for for Disney or for merchandising, but we're making these movies for these kids and these families that can take and you know they become theirs at that point. And it, it was such a proud moment for the studio for me, and definitely one of my the highlights of my career. One of the things that you mentioned in the presentation that you gave a little bit earlier is you've got this uh, this fixation on hand animation, uh, and it's something that knowing <laughs> knowing the sequences that you you know you were that you 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 uh, more than oversaw that you you actually had your hands on mm-hmm. specifically as it were mm-hmm. pun intended pun, pun, pun intended pun right not intended but I found my way there. <laughs> um, you know how how have you found that this has this has led to doing some of the really hard painstaking work that you do mm-hmm. and making it feel really rewarding? Whether it's you know Elsa mm-hmm. you know flicking her hands one direction or another, and mm-hmm. creating a, a castle, or uh, you know uh, characters with completely different 
uh, armatures for their sure. hands in Wreck-It yeah. Ralph, depending on the scale of the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how, do, how does that end up being something that you you can specifically note as being interesting that you that you like doing? So I mean, that's a great question. Um, for me, every project I sort of have something that I try and focus on because it's such a big craft that it's easy to find yourself kind of lost in this you know you can feel yourself becoming a little stagnant because it's there's so many avenues you could go down to you know perfect the craft so on every project I try and focus my effort on something that inspires me and um, during Big Hero 6 it was very much a lot of amazing hand drawing like I just I can't draw hands very well and I was always amazed at artists that could um, like Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson's hand animation was always mind blowing so that was kind of one of, I got an opportunity to animate a shot all about a hand in Big Hero 6 where Hero pulls the shelf down uh, on top of himself and just trying to funnel all of that inspiration from all of these images and sculptures that I had seen with amazing hand stuff was so fun and I feel like every moment through that process I learned more and more about you know what makes a nice hand pose and how you get hands to be expressive so when rolling on to Moana I really wanted to try and find what that next thing was and I remember just listening to Glenn Keane talk about sculptural animation and how he was always trying to capture this sculptural feel to his um, his his work and I so I really kind of tried to take that to heart and I started looking at all different kinds of sculpture and I got really interested in Renaissance sculpture and then uh, Richard McDonald's sculpture in particular was something on Moana that really captivated me because there's this emotion behind the artwork that holds up in no matter where you are in the room. There's this integrity to it. And I think um, sometimes with animation we're thinking too much about you know the design from a certain angle. So when working on Moana, there was a lot of effort spent on like every angle of the character and every expression, not just the front and the side and three quarter, to try and give the character this like sculptural integrity. And what we got in exchange for all of that work was when an animator got cast a shot with Moana, they could do anything they wanted in the scene, and they didn't have to worry about the character not feeling art directed. It, she was a, a an incredibly expressive sculpture that held up from any angle so that was probably my biggest you know um i was so happy to see that that the you know we had free reign to do whatever performance we needed to do to get the point of the shot across in animation we have to wrap this up or they're gonna uh grab me with a hook so (laughs) one last one for you uh you had you had a background in music uh that was a big thing for you and this movie uh especially as has been the case with a few oh, yeah. different Disney projects you've worked on, is steeped in music, uh, sure. the music uh, by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find that you guys working with him on this project influenced the way that you were sculpting the movement, making the, the overall feel and flow of the mm-hmm. motion that people were seeing um, take shape? Or is that something that, uh, that just kind of uh, enhanced and accentuated what you guys were already going for? You know, I think when... I think it sort of just infuses itself into your shot when you're working on it because, like, hearing the the songs, even if they're early temp scores, there's something that they add to the just emotion of a sequence that I think, from an animator's standpoint, as you're watching the sequence, and especially when you're planning your shot and kind of trying to get into the skin of the character in your shot, it just sort of becomes sort of part of how you're thinking, and it really, I think, heightens the awareness of kind of the rhythms and the phrasing of the acting 
um, in the shot. So I feel like it just only helps you become more attached to the shot you're animating or the story. But definitely, um, all of the music in, in this movie has been amazing. And like, I remember leaving a screening and some of the music in there, I was just like singing for days and we would get it stuck in our head and we would just be randomly just start yelling part of a song. Was was a lot of the animation staff already fans of Lin Manuel's work, or did this kind of become a thing that everybody was digging into in the Heights and Hamilton uh, yeah. after the fact? I think it's kind of a mixture. Like um, in the beginning, you know, I, I he I feel like I hadn't necessarily known too much about who he was, and then I started learning about Hamilton, and I was like, oh wow, this guy's amazing. And then the more and more he contributed to the film, the more and more I was like, oh my goodness. And then seeing, you know, the world start to really take notice and. The, everything he's accomplished you know it's been amazing but yeah I think just his contribution to the film has been really great he's been he's he's been such I don't know I think you could easily maybe detach yourself from a project and you know do Here what the you songs do. yeah do what animators you do, take your pencils of, do whatever you want yeah but it really felt like he was invested in telling this story with the filmmakers which is I think the absolute goal and what you would want when you bring someone to do the music and for this episode of Electric Shadow, we're going to leave you with Opataya Foai and Lin-Manuel Miranda singing We Know the Way. Thanks to Malcolm Pierce, thanks to Disney Feature Animation, the good people at Sly Fox PR for making this episode possible. If you want to support this show, Electric Shadow, go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. Learn more about making your photos last a lifetime by printing them on glass. And get them printed by a company that makes them right here in the USA, but they do ship internationally if you're outside the U.S., you never know what photo you take on your phone might be something that you want to put on the wall and remember for the rest of your life. You never know what trip somewhere is someone's first trip to a place, first experience with something, first experience realizing that they know who they are. I'm Moises Chuyan. We'll be back again very soon with Neville Longbottom himself, Mr. Matthew Lewis, right here on Electric Shadow. Stay subscribed, stay tuned, and thanks for listening. Night.